welcome Libby, People Director at White Hat, onto the series. Um, marked as one of the best startups to work for in London 2020. White Hat is a UK-founded, purpose-driven tech startup. And I can already tell that we're going to have a lot to talk about today. So Libby, welcome. And how's everything going? Uh, great. Thank you for having me on. I'm really looking forward to this chat. Um, it's going really well. I can't believe it's September either, actually. It's flown by now. <laughs> it's nuts. It's getting dark early, which is the thing that I dislike. But um, what can you do? <laughs> so um, I'm sure that many people listening in already know you well. Um, but for those who don't, can you tell us a little bit about your story? And have you always been in people-focused roles? Sure. Um, so, as you mentioned, currently I'm the People Director at White Hat, um, and I haven't always been in people-focused roles, so I guess I've had a bit of a different journey into this field. Um, I actually started out in oil and gas, randomly, um, on the grad scheme at BP, which was great, but um, decided oil and gas was not where I wanted to be longer term, um, and because I didn't know where I wanted to go, I did the standard thing and went to be a consultant for five years at Bain, um, so I went off to do strategy consultancy, which was great, love that. Um, I've always been really passionate about education and the need to make sure every young person has all the best opportunities possible and that sort of equal opportunities. And so social mobility has been a big thing for me. I've always wanted to make sure that's possible for people. And um, I did a lot of work in the social impact practice at Bain. So from there, I actually moved into the not-for-profit sector. And that was great. So I left and I joined Social Business Trust, which is all about scaling social enterprises. So I guess from there, there's been a theme of scaling. And mm -hmm. um, I was a portfolio director. So I worked with some amazing um, social enterprises and charities um, to help them scale uh, their mission and their impact, which is brilliant. Um, and then I moved over to ARC to work with Now Teach as our operations director. And um, so Now Teach basically um, gets experience career changes into teaching. So a bit like Teach First, but for the other end. Um, yep. And that was really great. So I worked with the founders, Lucy Kellaway and Katie Wardgrave, to get that set up growing. And actually, I just spoke to the team yesterday, and they just um, hired their biggest ever cohort, which has been great. So that was like, whoop. Awesome. So that was really good. And then um, the opportunity to join Wirehack came up. And I just thought I wanted to go back to the for-profit space, um, mm -hmm. obviously the tech um, the tech area is so exciting, but it also still had that social mission and purpose. And to me, I was like, this is a great opportunity. That was just like, right, I'm in. Um, and that's why I'm here now. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been a bit of a windy route, um, but we've got there in the end. So, yeah. Awesome. So now you mentioned People Director at White Hat. Um, can yeah. you tell the people listening a little bit about what White Hat does and its mission and vision? Sure. So basically, White Hat is on a mission to accelerate the careers of a diverse set of future leaders. Um, and to do this, we're, we're building an outstanding alternative to university, um, which is kind of the key thing. I think the university system's broken. It's not working for everyone. And um, we've started that off with apprenticeships. And there's sort of three areas of our offer, um, which are really different and set us apart. So we match talented individuals with top employers. So we are a tech company. So we've built this unique platform that basically measures potential and character rather than just academic achievement. Um, so we, and then we go out to hard to reach communities and um, to find the best people because we think talent is evenly distributed, but obviously opportunity isn't. So mm -hmm. our platform can help that come, overcome those challenges. That's like the first slide. We've got our tech sort of matching product. Um, and then we deliver cutting edge applied learning experiences. So we've developed a curriculum 
that incorporate some of the best content in the world. Um, and we teach those, uh, we teach the people on our apprenticeships um, world leading digital and tech skills. So the things that you need for the future. So really the future work. So we do like digital marketing, data, software engineering. Uh, we do leadership, so you need that in organizations as well. Um, and then we use coaching and this unique online learning experience to give people the skills they need. And then the third element, which I think is, is you know, all of them pulled together is really powerful, is the community. So our apprentices are all part of the White Hat community. And at the moment, they meet purely online, but before they used to meet offline too. Mm. And that will build networks and um, you know, connections that will take them through their career in the future as well. Um, so that's kind of our mission. They were founded in 2016, um, our mission and vision. And we've been growing, I think we've now got 1,200 apprentices on programme, um, which is fantastic. Uh, we got our Series A last November, um, and we're now 160 people in the office. Awesome. All around London and further afield at the moment. <laughs> and at what stage in the kind of traditional educational journey, you know, primary school, secondary school, sixth form slash college, university, and um, where where do you step in? So we um, work a lot with um, early talent, which is um, 16 to 24 year olds. So we do a lot at school level and um, secondary school. So we have a whole outreach team that go and do, do that work with schools. And um, we also actually work with um, existing employees at clients as well. And to deliver apprenticeships um, to existing employees because obviously the skill set and the need for upskilling is there as well and so mm -hmm. we provide apprenticeships to those existing as well so like leadership and data is a very popular one with existing employees because it's something that a skill set that's really needed and it's been developed quite recently and so that's something that's we're also so we actually work with a wide range but our main sort of focus I guess is 16 to 24 and those secondary school um, individuals. Cool. Much debate, and there's probably a whole different um, episode in terms of the traditional education system. Is it broken? Yeah. Is it not? Does it breed yeah. entrepreneurs? Yes, no. Does it give the relevant skills for the tech industry? Yes, no. Um, I know where I sit <clears throat> on that, but yeah. we won't get into that. Otherwise, we'll be well, very needed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you, you can 100% see, can't you? And particularly as yeah. two folks that have worked in people and talent that... Um, you know, broadly speaking, the, the, the conventional education system doesn't solve the skills shortages that are in the market today. So, no, fantastic. and that's the work to change, right? We're making it so that, that you know, academic, yeah, academia going to university has its place, but there needs to be an alternative that develops the skill set that we, we need in the workplace right now. And that's not necessarily there for everyone. Um, and that's what we're trying to make the difference. I think, like, that's what, like, I get really excited about this. Like the future mm. work, we're in this, we're going to make a difference. I think, and I know that everyone in our organization, that value, focus, and um, passion is like so strong. It really makes going to work great every day. Like, it's brilliant. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with you. Um, and so, you're passionate every day um, behind yeah. this, uh, this mission. So, where does your role come into helping um, White Hat achieve its, its objectives? Sure, so I mean, obviously we need a great team to make that happen. Um, yeah. and I think people are at the heart of making that happen um, and sort of obviously the culture and the vision sits with the leadership and, and founder and so Ewan's very strong on that. Um, but, you know, like we're critical to getting that 
moving. So my role covers recruitment, um, people operations, so um, HR side of things, office, and also learning and development. Um, so it's quite a broad role because lots of internal things. Also do a little bit of IT on the side, which I wouldn't say is my strong point. I seem to have scooped up, but never mind. Um, and I think the way I try and think about it is actually if we look at our three sort of vision, um, uh, sort of our mission products, you know, so like the talent matching, the cutting edge curriculum and the community, versus it's like we're trying to attract the talent in. So that's what we do. Um, we were training them with a great employee experience and give them the opportunities of very, you know, we're a learning organisation. So what we're trying to build, and we're not there yet, but it's an aspiration we're getting there. It's a really continuous development culture internally as well. And then the third thing is just the general team culture and combines with the collaboration across the teams. And I feel like it actually matches quite well with the, I was thinking about last night when I was prepping for this. And, oh, yeah, we match that really great. So, um, yeah, so I think we're like, the core engine, and as we grow, I mean, we're growing, we've hired, um, so I think at the end of November, we were just over 100 people, and now we're 160, and on track to be like 170, 180 very soon, and so I think we're only a small team, but we try and keep that all together, and getting people onboarded, working with all the teams to make sure that's all coming together, doing the off-sites, the all-hands, so in a way, I can kind of think we're the glue to the engine of all these amazing people we've got delivering this vision and mission, and because you also get to see everyone and what they're doing. I just love it. Mm. I love being nosy and chatting to people, so it's a marvellous role. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and a, a diverse role and a diverse background as well. Um, and with that, I'd be curious to know what your your biggest learnings are. Um, yeah. I guess, you know, it could be in your current role or career to date, you know, when it comes to driving people growth in, in, in tech businesses and just startups overall, really. Yeah. So I think the things I've seen, and I guess I was, um, it's a great question. So it really made me reflect on some other things and actually the similarities across them. Um, and thinking back even to like when I was at Social Business Trust working with the smaller social enterprises and charities that maybe weren't growing as quickly as we are, but they were certainly on a mission to do that. Um, and I think the core thing that made a big difference was a really strong vision mission so that everyone had a North Star the founder was really present or the leader sometimes founders transition out but like the you know that whoever's leading the ceo or the founder in our case is is just visible and communicating that so everyone's clear about the north star where the hell are we going and i think if everyone's on the boat and they're heading in the right direction that's like the key start point and um, and sometimes that can that can be quite difficult because that means you've got to say no to stuff and i think one of the biggest things for me and i guess this harks also back to my very strat days is Strategy is great, but it does involve the best, the best, the people that do strategy well, are the people that are good at saying no, it's not just a yes game. So what are you not doing? And that's more important than what you are actually sometimes are doing. And I think that kind of focus helps, helps with those no's. And so that for me has been a key learning. And then the obvious one, which I'm sure everyone listening here and, um, and in this field would say is people. So getting the right people um, at the right stage. So um for example, what we've been doing um, at um, White Hat over the last six months is building the SLT, the senior leadership, and we've hired in some amazing experience. Um, but if we'd have hired that in too early, it would have been too soon for the organisation as well. So there's like you've got to get the people in at the right stage to where the organisation, where like you've proven there's a market for your, you, you know, you've got proof of concept, you've got proof of market, and that's that scaling. So you bring in the right people to do that. Um, and I think if you then empower them to deliver what that you know they're meant to do then that's the next thing and I think for me 
getting in the people ops process early. Um, I think sometimes, especially with something like hiring, I'm sure you're well aware of this. Um, you know, hiring can be everyone wants to just hire and I've done this before, I'll do it my way. And so actually, um, we've been working a lot on making sure everyone's consistently using a process that we know is the standards we need linked to our values. And I think actually we probably should have got that in maybe a little bit earlier. Um, not that we were doing it badly before, we've got some amazing people on, but I think, you know, just time-wise, if you don't have a process in, the time sink is huge. So um, getting the people ops processes in early, earlier than you might think, and pushing yourself to do that, I think is important. Um, and I guess a learning for me across a personal learning, and the one that I talk to my managers about is, you know, sometimes people just people um, decisions might be wrong. Like let's have that conversation. Like that individual might be feeling it too, and you've got to act quickly on those because um, it does damage your culture and it does damage where you're going. And um, I think for me, that's been something that, like, it's a bit of a misery one to talk about, but I do think that's something that you've got to bear in mind, like making those people um, decisions. You might need to make some hard ones and that's fine. I always think there's, um, I think in the Netflix culture deck and also in HubSpot, you know, that we're a team, not family. And mm -hmm. so, you know, we're here to deliver high performance. So let's think about what that means. And um, having come from like obviously the social sector as well and sometimes in the social mission everyone can feel very together and family but actually we're here to deliver something and we've got to get it done um, and so I think having a slight hard side is, is also helpful um, and for me learning from mistakes I'm I, I guess naturally I'm a bit of a perfectionist and so you've got to just say actually do you know what that, things are going to go wrong it's okay and um, Luke Coleman who's our head of recruitment so I was like you've got to live learn it's fine just you'll learn from it and move on and then um, I always think, yes, that's right, Luke, let's do this. So um, I think 100%. Um, they're kind of some of the key things. So really it's like vision, people, process. I mean, there's standard things, but I think it rings true across all, all the sectors I've seen. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, there's some super valuable points there um, for people to, to scribble down on their pad or, or remember for the future. <laughs> I can speak from experience or that balance of over-hiring today whilst trying to higher for the future yeah um, and I can also relate to speaking from a seed perspective we don't need people people up stuff we don't need people up stuff oh my gosh we've got a lot of people up stuff to catch up on there was nothing in the middle uh, as we scaled yeah. <laughs> so. yeah 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 I think you're at the pain point you're like it's okay we can do this up to 70 oh oh and now we're going really quick I've missed this bit we don't yeah. have this it's like a bit of a scramble yeah so I mean when I was um, appointed people director the first thing I did is went and hired um, v, Vasuda, she's our um, people manager and she has her experiences transfer wise and she's gone and helped set up um, um, a bank, like a, a fintech startup. Um, and so she's like, this is the process we need. And she's just come in like a process machine. So like, you know, she has all the HR knowledge that I don't have. And I guess coming from that background, that's been a huge help. Just make like, and I guess that comes to my point, the right people, right time. So she needs, I need her on my team um, and she's amazing. So yeah. Yeah, hugely, hugely underestimated part of scaling the business, in my opinion, lots of focus on getting the talent in. Um, but it's kind of like, okay, cool. Now you've got them organizationally. What next? Because they yeah, will yeah. want progression. They will want this. They will want that. The scale okay. communication practices, policies. You need this, this, and this. So, yeah. yes, you can tell I'm yeah. speaking from a, a place of experience. Yeah. <laughs> and we actually put in in January a progression framework for everyone. And actually, we worked with Matt Bradburn from um, People Collective. I think he was on this as well, right? So, yeah. uh, we worked with 
Um, and that was hugely helpful. And I think a lot of people like you were doing this early, but um, our co-founder Sophie was like, well, actually, no, I think we need this. And that was one of the first things I did um, with, with Matt. And it was really helpful because that built a lot of engagement and trust with our, um, with our employees. And they were like, yes, this is helpful. Like, I now I know how I'm going to get, like, progress. And it means that I feel like I've got a journey here with you. And that's been really helpful. So 100%. Now, I guess, it was earlier than some of our other stuff we've had to sort of catch up mm. on. So 100%. I always feel like I'm chasing my tail a little bit, but it's fun. <laughs> Constantly evolving. I've, I've learned that myself as well. There's never a finished product. Um, no. <laughs> so back to, I guess, a bit about the mission of, of White Hat. But what are your personal thoughts on why enabling early talent is especially important for tech companies, you know, in startups and scale-ups specifically? Yeah, so, I mean, the early stage talent piece is so important. Um, and I think just from my personal experience, um, we, we've always had apprentices at White Hat. Um, and when I joined, um, some of our apprentices, well, all of them actually, are phenomenal. They're some of the most amazing hires in our team. And, um, like, not to be cheesy, but I think they're our diverse set of future leaders. They're unbelievable, um, totally unbelievable. And um, their talent, their energy... They just have, they just learned really quickly and developed. So I think in terms of the, the tech space, I think if people don't consider early stage talent, they're missing out on a huge potential opportunity for their organizations. Because, um, you know, we've seen retention is higher in people that do apprenticeships with, with organizations. And um, obviously um, you bring in a whole diverse set in terms of diverse skill sets, background. And I think, you know, we all know the diversity challenges in with, within the tech sector. And I think if you're thinking early on in your startup, how do I how do I um, work on, on my funnel overall? Engaging with early stage talent through like somebody like a white hat, like us, obviously we're the best. And um, that that is a way to do that. And um, it will just bring so much more to your team. And you might think, oh, I don't have time to do the development, but like the people you get will ask you and you will realize you're developing them all the time anyway. And so you'll be able to do it and it fits in and they are, they'll stay with you and they'll grow and they'll be your future leaders. So I think for me, it's a critical part and I would encourage all tech startup founders to, to think it through. And um, yeah, I think it's really important, especially it's mainly for the diversity and the background difference to your team. They'll just bring so much thought to it that I think it's well worth it. Yeah. yeah, let's talk about that because I guess I've seen it, you've probably seen it. Um, and, you know, I don't know where this is driven from, but maybe the Valley, maybe maybe VCs, maybe books, but I often hear too often um, we want somebody from Google, Facebook, Amazon, Uber, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You know, super successful, you know, proven, you know, market-leading organisation. Um and then when you we listen to what you're saying there is about hiring for potential, which is a hugely different um, concept. I guess what advice can you give to founders in earlier stage organizations that often over-index sort of brand and what has been done versus potential? I think this is a great question and something that I guess everyone's going to be grappling with continually mm. because when you, you know, each hire is massively important. So um, in terms of risk, you've got to really accept that if someone comes with that sort of experience, you might feel like you're lowering your risk by hiring that person because they've done it before. But I, for me, there's something around when we think about potential, you've got to really look at your own team and the existing team there and where you mm -hmm. want to get. 
get to and what is the potential you're looking for in, in that context and then really think outside the box and push yourself to be like well, what do we actually need for this role because for example if it is this person has to have a 2-1 well do they really do they even really need a degree are those requirements actually needed for what you've got in that role like challenge yourself to think about that because if that's not the case, then you are opening yourself up to a huge pool of people that you may not may not otherwise get. And I think if the coming back to the diversity point, the tech sets, we know it's an issue. So if you're just going for the same pool, you're just going to compound the issue and you won't be bringing in a diverse thought set or background into your organization that could like drive your product somewhere that wouldn't go otherwise. So I think you need, you know, if if you have that option, maybe have a balance. But I would always say you've got to go out potential. So one thing we do, and we at White we have a quite a wide range of roles to hire for. So you know, from um, so from our product and tech team to our coaches, who mm. are obviously very different skills there. And our coach and our coaches can be industry experts in data. They can be former teachers. They can be, like it's a whole host of people, which is great. And then obviously we hire for all the other functions in between too. So we've got like a really wide range of individuals. But what we try and look for are things like um, coachability and um, and to do that, we really focus on the way people think and their and how they approach problems. And so we've spent a lot of time looking at like, well, if we are going to do a task-based interview, who have we got in the room to really prep? Like, how do they take that feedback? How are they thinking? Um, mm. And actually, sometimes if they're coming from other organizations where you're like, well, that's a great brand, doesn't mean that their thought process and the way they'll fit with your team is going to work to reach the potential that you have on offer. Um, and we also do a lot of work on sort of, because I guess, where we come from is around context and contextualizing mm-hmm. people's performance and potential. Um, you know, so our platform and um, for apprentices, so you know, for um, companies recruiting through our platform, there's actually contextualized recruitment on that platform. So um, they'll be they'll look at their academic performance in context. So which school did they go to? So where like you know, like an A star and A might be the same as basically getting a B or a C from another school because mm-hmm. of the context of the school. So we do a lot of that on the apprentice side. And so what we try and do internally is look at like, well, let's pick beyond the CV, let's have a chat to them. Why did they make those decisions? What what can we learn about them that says actually they've outperformed hugely? And actually they may not have been at a Google or a Facebook, but what they have achieved is phenomenal. And their mm. thought process are great. So they're better on our team. Um, so there's, it's quite intensive. And I, and I think um, there's no quick fix, but I, I think you've got to look beyond just the experience. In, in my look, look, look at me. I have, you know, I've just bobbled around all over the place. And so it's a bit like, you know, you've got to look at your own personal journey as well and think, well, maybe those big brands aren't necessarily what you need to be different. And I guess being different and heading forwards is, is what's going to set you apart, possibly. Mm-hmm. And speaking from experience, um, we altered our recruitment process very, very early on. I would say we over-indexed, if I'm honest, you know, on on skills and and yeah. background, um, and we pivoted our recruitment process to be, you know, almost entirely about behaviours, um, yes. and the change in results was significant. Yeah, interesting. So yeah, I I'm following you, uh, and I was in the trap of over-indexing the wrong things. I think early in our our organisation. You are right. You're early on. It's like risk, you've got to like think, yeah. So that's really so what did you do to change your process to bring in the behavior stuff? How do you have you been doing that? That's really so much cool. like, yeah, much like the, the stuff you mentioned earlier on, we, we really focused on what our mission and vision was, the values that um we believed in, and then 
the next layer down was where the game changed for us, which is sort of what behaviors underpin those values. Um, and that gives us the opportunity to one sort of assess and discuss those during the interview process, um, but also assess and discuss during the employee journey with us as well. Um, so it was less, you know, of course we focus on deliverables and goal settings and all that good stuff that an organization does, but um, yeah, we've learned that actually you can have, you know, the best numbers performer in the world, but if their behaviors aren't aligned and they're not performing against the, the values, then there is stuff that breaks. So, yeah. And I think we always have, in, in our process, we always have founder interview at the end, and that's because of the size of things we're actually more, moving to more connected, but it's around the values so that we have eight values like that, and they are embedded in everything we do. Mm-hmm. They're part of the employee experience. And um, we expect people to have looked at them before, obviously, before they come for interview yeah. and sort of align with them. And it's very strong. So, you know, we have a values champion every week and um, we use the values to, you know, to look at how we promote people. It's called all of our 360s and it's sort of built in. So, I, yeah, 100% agree. If someone's not value aligned, it doesn't really matter how much great experience they've got. They're not going to fit with the culture. And they're not like, again, it's like that getting on, on the bus, right? It's like getting on board with the vision, the mission. Um, and our values underpin all of that. So, yeah. yeah I think you shouldn't, and I think it is about on or off, and it's not a mandatory on or off. It's a, a decision both sides, right? There's nothing worse than trying to make somebody change what they believe in and how they behave as an individual for the sake of a career. So, yeah, your your process is pre-hire and, and post-hire should absolutely be about in or out and those no's that you mentioned earlier um, that are hard to do but are what define a culture so yeah we're yeah great topic so i've had this conversation with lots of companies before um even in organizations where it was really heavily mandated um that we did hire a percentage of of early stage talent and that was traditional you know degree educated folks or or phd uh, qualified and a lot of pushback is internally we're not set up for this we're not ready i'm too busy what advice can you give to organizations to i guess help them on board these individuals but foster a really strong experience for them you know post that onboarding period as well yeah so actually um for companies that we work with in to you know to get those apprentices in and i guess people because with an apprenticeship 20 percent is um they have to get the 20% off to do the learning as well, as well as obviously on all the on-job learning. So people are like, oh, how's that? But actually at White Hat, we work a lot with the line managers to be like, actually, this isn't scary. It is doable. And mm. here's how you do it. And here's how companies have done that in the past. And we link them together. We have a really strong custom success team that will work with them to do that. So um, I would encourage people to not just write it off and really think that through before they say no, because actually... Um, it can bring so much, like we talked earlier, the value that in yeah. those individuals are bringing to, to your organisation are completely worth it. Um, and so that's the first thing. And then obviously onboarding, and especially now remotely, it's even more critical to get this right. And I think you know, we're always working on that internally ourselves um, and sort of supporting our clients to do that. But you know, you've got to make sure that that person has had that sort of onboarding experience from even accepting the offer. So have they had, a, you know, have they spoken against the manager? Do they understand what they're joining? Have they got all the right kits? All of that sort of basic stuff, great. Then it's about getting them um, a buddy and a mentor so that once they're in, they've got that. And I think 
with us, because we've already got a network of apprentices and early stage talent, then they kind of loop up and they have that whole group to fall back on. And so mm-hmm. if maybe they don't, that's where the power of like the white hat community of apprentices would come in to support those individuals early early on. Um, and I think that's something that's really important. Um, you know, just, like, just making sure they, because I think there is something about sometimes when early stage chat comes in, it's like they might not be able to cope with all this information. Let's protect them. But actually, if you don't expose them to the business and get uh, get them to meet people in, across the business and understand how the business works, they're not going to be able to make the decisions you want them to do, even at whatever level they start at. Um, mm. Because you want to empower them to understand what that means. So we try and make sure they've met different parts of the organisation. They've met different seniority levels. Like we're, yes, we've obviously got an Excel team and whatever, but we're pretty flat. Go and talk to them. Like just, you know, just, just have a conversation. I'm always like, if you've got a question, just ask me. Like it doesn't matter. And I think all of our leadership are like that. So we'd like to encourage that questioning. So I guess making sure you've got that culture. Because and I guess this point actually comes to inclusivity. So you might have a diverse set, but it's like, are you being as inclusive as possible when that person joins? So maybe before they join, just reflect on what are we doing that might not work? So for example, if you have a 16-year-old joins apprentice, well, you better make sure some of your socials aren't always in the pub because that's not going to work. Like just simple things like that. You probably yeah. want to just have a think about it um, and just make sure the environment you're setting up is, is a good one for them and that you've made sure that they feel empowered and are happy to kind of... Um, be there and I think that's key so we've, we've done a lot of zoom zoom stuff to keep people engaged and and get them on board cool yeah, yeah I've, I've, cer- I've certainly seen that that kind of underexposure um to early stage career talent we're going to run a couple of minutes over folks because there's at least one more question that I really want to ask that's super important so if you all need to leave for your meetings cool we're going to hang on for a couple more minutes um cool. But I guess there's additional context in, in the world today um, when it comes to talent, full stop, not just early stage talent. Um, and that is a an ever increasing shift to um, remote first or, or fully remote um, workforce. Yeah. And I'd love to kind of ask him this question for myself as well, if I'm honest, I would love to understand how you've seen companies adapt to We've spoken about how they can adapt to be inclusive when it comes to hiring early stage talent. Now we've got the additional complexity potentially from the naysayers. Another reason for them to say no is that oh, we're all remote and this person yeah. won't be able to do it. Um, how do you and your community teams sort of advise companies on that? And have you seen good or bad things happen as a result of the, the remote work? I mean, like, look, we've all been forced into this. It's quite, it's been quite a switch. Um, mm. And I guess it's taken, like, I'm just thinking, like, back to the start of this whole pandemic, we all went um, off, and I think everyone was sort of over-indexed on it a little bit. And I don't know about you, but I got a huge Zoom fatigue. I think I was on it for, like, nine hours a day. Like, I'm completely done with this. Like, this is horrendous. Um, so I think it's a lot about communication and thinking about the right channel for it. Mm. Um, and, I mean... I, I try and think about, well, in the office, what like what would you be doing in the office that's different to everyone sitting in their homes and how can you facilitate that engagement? So, um, you know, for example, uh, I know all of our teams internally have, like, just drop-ins. And so we have, like, a people ops coffee every other day or something so that if you're free and you want to, you can just drop in. And, it's, and I think the thing that people are scared about losing is those informal development mm-hmm. points and those informal conversations. So if you can try and facilitate that, then that's sort of helps get over that hump and I think 
with the early stage and also new starters, just on boarding, you've kind of like got to over-index on that to make them mm-hmm. feel part of it because they haven't had the historic, like, I know you kind of thing. So one yeah. thing we've been doing is, our, or could we still keep our company at all hands um, virtual every every Monday morning? And at the end of some of them, we've finished 10 minutes early and I've literally just randomly put people into breakout rooms. And so they have a coffee and a chat and that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we do a new starters email. So everyone gets a lowdown of who's there and who who's joining and they're sort of like, you know, who are they? And then we encourage people to reach out and do bullying and coffees and all of that good stuff. And um, so that's one thing that I think we try and try and do. I think there's lots more we could do in this area to be honest, something we could do. We've also encouraged people not just to use Zoom, so phone calls as well and it's like you know, I much I much prefer the phone. Uh, Cedar Cedar been remote first since I launched in 2013, and you know there are benefits to hangouts. But if it's you know if it's an ad hoc, I'd much rather pick up the telephone. Maybe I'm a bit old. Uh, maybe that's no, no, I, I, I just think it's so much because otherwise you're like constantly scheduling. Just pick up the phone. If they don't answer, leave my message, and I'm sure they'll call you back. Um, so I think 100% we've done a big push on that. We've tried to make sure that all of our sort of socials have remained on. So we do. Um, we still do our Friday quizzes. We have a virtual pub. We do, um, we do, we've been doing like in small teams, things that, we've, that worked really well as um, escape rooms online. They've been really fun to do as a team. And um, so we've done a few of those. And then we actually did a whole company virtual offsite for an entire day on Zoom, which was pretty intense, but actually it was really fun. And um, so we had like dance, people submitted dance videos and we put, put it all together. We, then we, I did like little videos from Tales from the Team. And it was just some different teams and then we showed those. And then we had obviously content sessions on strategy and stuff. And actually people left that feeling um, really uplifted. We got great feedback mm-hmm. from it. And I think we would have done a day in the office, but actually it kind of worked online. And I was, I, I was a bit, I was very nervous about it. So I was a bit like, is this actually going to work? Or are people just going to hate me? So maybe I made them sit there the entire day. But actually everyone really got into it and learned loads. So um, I think there's a lot you can do with right this. Um, and I think realistically, the world's changed, right? People aren't going to be in the office five days a week. We'll always be an office-based culture. I expect people to come in, but um, they, you know, coming in every day, maybe just a thing of the past, really, because we've proved it. And obviously, you guys have been remote first for ages. That you don't need to be there all the time. Yeah, every organisation that said we're not going to go remote first has now got X number of employees saying, "Well, here's a five, six-month use case that says we can." So yeah, it'd be an yeah, interesting. Our productivity, we cracked on like you know we've been delivering all our apprenticeships online with selling we're growing like you, there's nothing that says this has damaged our progress and um, so yeah interesting one okay well i could talk to you for the rest of the morning but um <laughs> i should probably wrap up some questions before i get sold off um so we ask these these closing questions to everybody um yeah. is there anything that you're listening to or watching right now that you find inspirational either personally or, or business-wise? Sure. Um, so I love a good podcast, obviously. I'm on this one, so it's exciting. And um, thank you for inviting me. Um, the one that I've been listening to recently that I've really been enjoying is Redefining HR. is a great podcast. I think Lars, Lars Schmidt does that one. Um, I'm a big ad- admirer of the chief people officer of HubSpot, Katie Burke. I think she's mm-hmm. really interesting. Also, she didn't come from a people background, so maybe that's why I'm a bit of a groupie, not sure. But um, <laughs> I listen to her podcast. I think she's always doing some really interesting stuff there. Um, I guess the other one that I like is Patty McCord's, her TED Talks, um, and what mm-hmm. she's doing on Netflix. And also, I think I love the way she's just so direct, like, why would you do it that way? And I always think, what would Patty think? And like have a concept <laughs> on that. So that's me I'm doing. 
Um, and I love, I really like how I built this by Guy Rap, by Guy Raz, because how he says it, but um, he's really cool because he does like little stories of all the entrepreneurs that have built various companies. And I first started listening to that with Wendy Cop, the Teach for America. Um, and I was like, God, he's got some great people on here. And I've listened to loads of those. And I just think it's great to hear that actually these massive companies that are huge now have these huge issues that these poor people have to deal with it. And you're like, it's okay. Things obviously go wrong everywhere. That's great. So it's definitely worth listening to that one. Um, and sort of the books, I guess, Culture Code, Trillion Dollars, the usuals. But um, the one that I'm actually reading at the moment is one called The Everyone Culture. It's about building a deliberately developmental culture all the time. And that's really fascinating, the way they approach that. So, they, you know, they've got a case study of uh, Bridgewater, you know, Ray Dalio, principles, that area, where they're so direct all the time and every mistake is known by everyone. And it's just quite an interesting, it's such a different approach that it's, I just find reading about these things really engaging and fascinating. Mm. So that's kind of where I'm at at the moment with them. Um, my inspirations, cool. I guess. <laughs> That's good. Um, last question. Um, what is one thought, value, or phrase that you live by? So I think um, whether I live by, I'm not sure, but I guess I'm aiming to. Um, so the moment I think this resonates with me, as I mentioned earlier, I'm probably like verging on being a bit of a perfectionist. So I think one thing that I always think about is strive for progress, not perfection. Um, and it's okay that it might not be 100% but at least it's on the way and let's keep moving forward so that's something that I always have in mind especially at the moment like talk about the people processes and where we're at and filling them in it feels like a very um, topical uh, quote for me so yeah strive for progress not perfection <laughs> great piece of uh, advice I think there really that phrase is uh, it's a continual loop um, <laughs> all of these things yeah you can get stuck if you're trying to make everything perfect and you might just crack on to the next thing. If it's good enough, let's go. <laughs> Libby, it's been great to chat with you. I'm going to be in trouble because we ran 10 minutes over, but I think it's absolutely worth it. Um, hearing you share some of your advice and stories from um, your career to date has been super helpful and some really positive, actionable points that I think people can, can take away from this. So thanks again very much for joining us. No worries. Um, thank you for having me. Thank <laughs> you.